You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. My name is Tanner Smith. I'm your host for today. I'm joined by my friends Bruce Wesley, who's our lead pastor at Clear Creek, and Kyle Mikulin, who's one of our student directors. Both of these guys serve faithfully on our teaching team. Guys, thanks for being here today. Yeah, well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, bro. going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Uh, so we've been in a series for the last few weeks, and we will be through the summer, a uh, series through the book of James. Mm-hmm. Um, the series is called Real Faith. And we're using the book of James to just unpack it and find out what James has to say about what a Christian faith looks like fleshed out, right? Is that kind of, that's kind of where we're headed for this? Um, So what we hope to do with this podcast over the summer is to take a closer look at each of these texts, kind of dig in a little bit deeper on the sermon, but then also look all around it, things that we maybe couldn't even include in the sermon. So. We're going to enjoy doing that together today. Um, Let's start off just by reading the text. So actually, would you mind, Kyle, just reading James chapter 2, 1 through 13? I'd be happy to. Thank you. Yep. Verse 1, it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are you not rich? Are you not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you have been called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. For you do not commit adultery, but do murder. You have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. Um, all right, so let's just jump straight in. The, the, the main idea of this text, for you guys preparing a sermon, what's the one thing that you would want somebody to walk out of the room with after you pre- have preached this sermon and take away with them? Yeah, I think this is an amazing text about the nature of, the, of a church, of the local church. Mm-hmm. And when I say it that way, uh, we would say it in ways that maybe for some feel more grand when we say for the people of God, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So this community of God that he's, he's made for himself, he has this vision of what the church is going to be about. Mm-hmm. And so in the text, he shows us both the thing that poisons that and the thing that really is catalytic to help that happen. Mm-hmm. So the thing that poisons is, is partiality. It's when we judge each other. So the behavior of uh, sizing each other up for our own purposes is the very thing that will tear down the very character and nature of the church so that the Mm. beauty of what Jesus has done in us is not seen. Uh, But on the other hand, this, this mercy is this catalytic thing that allows us to love one another in a way that reflects the glory of God. And so what I would want people to know 
is kind of what does it look like when we're sizing each other up? What does it look like when we're showing mercy? Yeah. Because uh, we have a real natural tendency to uh, to judge one another mm. for our own purposes without even really feeling it, knowing it, trying to. Right. It, it's just the the way we go. It's gravity. You know, it's downhill. Mm. And so uh, my hope is that people would walk away and they'd have this great vision of what not just the church can be, but how being the people of God changes all of our relationships mm. because it is so seasoned with mercy. Yeah, mm. that's awesome. Yeah. Anything to add to that? It's the same thing. I mean, I think if I was to pull on one thread, yeah, to just the identity concept that we look at the world with or through, the things that give us identity, like the value system of the world in relation to that which God has given us in Christ, uh, when when lived out rightly, is what I think James is hitting at. It it appeals to um, it appeals to a much different picture. And what I mean by that is, like followers of Jesus uh, don't live out of the power seeking achievement, yeah. those things that give them a sense of identity in the world, but through what Jesus has done for us in Christ. And so, right. and when that happens, the church does look like this beautiful functioning place. It's like, I am free to live a particular way because of what mm. Jesus has done for me. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, James just weaves that whole thing through this text yeah. and makes the church a really beautiful place when it's lived out. That's right. awesome. That's well said from both of you. Um, all right, so one of the beautiful things we get to do with this podcast is just to kind of pick apart even just the text in and of itself. So this text, uniquely positioned in James, uniquely positioned in the rest of the scripture, uh, and we ask this this question every week on this podcast, but how does it fit in with this bi- b- bigger biblical narrative, the narrative arc of redemption, the big picture of the Bible, we call it, into a biblical theology um, how does it fit into it? How does it add to it, contribute to it? What can we take away from that? Right. So the, the natural or the most natural understanding of the Bible is this historical arc of yeah. how God is making a people for himself. Yes. So we see this in all the Old Testament and we see mm-hmm. uh, the characteristics that God wants for his people. We mm-hmm. see it in the worship life of Israel, the civil life of Israel. And all of this is to make them a people who, number one, are distinct from other people right. because we're, they're demonstrating what it looks like to be the people of God, but also that they were intended to then be a missionary people to bring this same kind of life to the rest of the world. And so then we get into the New Testament and God has a new people for himself and those who who have faith in Jesus. And so what we see is this picture of a community and, you know, in the Western world that we live in uh, and the the brand of evangelicalism that many of us have been exposed to, mm-hmm. it's all about us, right? It's all about us repenting of our sin and coming to know Jesus so that we can be forgiven for our sin and go to heaven when we die. Right. But that is not really what the whole story is about. The story is about a people, not a person, yeah. not a person, me, right. but uh, a people, we, and how the Redeemer who has come to be with us and demonstrated himself to us is making this this people that reflects his glory. And so mm. that's why it's so significant yeah. that we not live with partiality, for instance, and that we live into this um, Christ-glorifying um, expression that we first experienced and now express in mercy. So what you're saying is this is a new way to be human altogether. Yeah. I love the way you say that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't come up with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even that concept, new way to be human. I think about just the two kingdoms that you have 
um, kind of presented that the Bible, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. Yeah. And the kingdom of the world is this fame, status, wealth, like those are the things that you need. If you're going to be a significant person in that kingdom, then you have to have those things. Right. And those are the things that we're sucked into trying to run after and pursue to bring us a sense of self-worth. But then when you get introduced to this Jesus guy, as the biblical narrative kind of unfolds, this Jesus guy, this character, he doesn't need those things. He mm. actually gives them up. So it's this kind of counter cultural kingdom, uh, that Jesus comes to bring and he lays those things down. Uh, and it was Sam Alberry, I think in preparation for this, I was reading, he talked about how Jesus might have been the type he, he calls him the crucified criminal. That's the king that we're given. And so if he was to step foot in churches today or in, in any setting, would he be to the type of ruler or leader that people would be like, yeah, I want him. I'm going to yeah. give him the nice seat. In, in the in the kingdom or in, in the church. I'm going to give him the nice seat or see the one that people would be like, yeah, you're really not what we're looking for as far as a church leader is concerned. And that was yeah. humbling. But that I think that is the biblical narrative or the, um, the biblical theology that's kind of unfolding. That's precisely the message of Jesus is that the way of Jesus, what got him killed was so different than what the world had ever seen. Mm -hmm. Like it was so counterintuitive um, that people marvel at it and they look at him and be like, who is this, who is this guy? Yeah. Um, and the message that means for followers of Jesus is like, that's what th we then model in, in that, that that's the way of Jesus. So yeah. Anyways, but yeah, that's good. So essentially what you're talking about is, is casting a vision, creating a vision for what the, the people of God are supposed to look like this, this people that Jesus even gave himself for to create a community of people who, um, hold no distinctions or boundaries between one another, right? They, right. they love and serve one another. So let's just hang there for a sec before we move on from that. Um, help just for me and for our listeners, cast a vision. What does that look like? The peop th this people of God, a, a people who, you know, aren't separated by these boundary lines, but who, who love one another like that. Sh show me what that looks like. Yeah, I think that vision becomes most clear when we juxtapose it with you know, where we are naturally, right? Mm -hmm. And where we are naturally is that we we have, we talk in this message about dominant hierarchies. Okay. And these dominant hierarchies, whether they be, as Kyle was saying, you know, about uh, position or power or wealth, or uh, we size people up and we we treat some people better than we treat other people, I mean, naturally. And James says that... Um, in doing that, we are automatically showing that we don't see people the way God sees people. Yeah. Because, you know, God sees people uh, as created in his image. Uh, he He's branded his image in us. Mm -hmm. We have this, uh, this God-given uh, yearning to both know and draw near to God. Uh, people do this in all kinds of broken ways too, right? Yeah. But nevertheless, we, we have this yearning to draw near to God. And uh, the way we treat one another, though, is so counter to how God has loved and treated us. Now, with that kind of dark background, right. he paints this picture of a community where uh, the rich and the poor or the educated or uneducated, the powerful or the weak, uh, yeah. all have this level ground yeah. where it's our sameness that brings us together. And our sameness is that... We need mercy. Yeah, we're sinners in need of mercy, loved by God, and 
it's the most, as, as Kyle was talking about identity, it's the most defining thing mm. in our lives that now we are loved by God, reconciled mm. to God through Jesus. And when we see that in one another, we, we show a picture that the world can't see any other place. Right. I mean, you know, I oftentimes heard it said that community is a modern day apologetic. Now, what does that mean? It means that a picture of people relating to each other in, in the manner that James describes here, in the manner that Jesus wants, is a beautiful witness to the power of God. Yeah. How else do people stop the, the dominance hierarchy in their life yeah. and serve each other, mm. love each other, show mercy to each other, even if we can't bring goods uh, or advantages to one another. Right. I love the way you said that. And kind of what I'm hearing you say is you're not saying that the diversities that make us different were to remove those, that that, that doesn't necessarily still ring true of us. Like those diversities are a part of what it means to live in this world. And yet because of the common theme of the gospel in our lives and the way that it changes us, we experience unity amidst those that diversity is that, absolutely yeah. and it takes both for it to be beautiful yeah right unity is easy to achieve mm. as long as you find a bunch of people who are not diverse right but that's good. unity in the midst of that diversity where we we don't have to give up those uh defining characteristics um because we we have a greater defining characteristic and that is our common um relationship with jesus mm. and the fact that we're his people that's amazing. That's good. Do you have anything to add to that? No, dude, that dude, was perfect. That was, that was well good. Yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. Okay, let's let's keep going with the, you know, some of our listeners nerd out about things like doctrines and theologies and things like that. Now, um, I would say not everyone does, so we, we want to explain this in a way that helps the, the nerds out there who are looking for something to chew on, um, but it also is applicable, and I think the way that you just did that with biblical theology is amazing. Let's talk about systematic theology for a second. So just systematic theology, it differs from biblical theology a little bit, only in that we're finding specific themes, specific doctrines about who God is and the way that he has made things work, and we, we take those themes and then explain them from different points inside the scriptures. Is that, did I explain that correctly? Do you have maybe another way to say that just for the listener who's, okay, systematic theology. So within this passage, specifically here in the first half of James chapter two, are there any specific themes or doctrines about God or about the church or anything like that, that we can kind of pull out from that and even see pointed to in other parts of the the scriptures? Well, uh, so I think any doctrinal or theological position on that, that points to the implications of the cross, the implications mm-hmm. of the gospel, uh, you can pull from this text, maybe not super directly, yeah. but like, I mean, there's adoption language in here. There is okay. justification language in here. Um, I mean, justification, just to pull on that one a little bit, it, he uses the the framework or the, the idea of the law of transgressors. So you're either going to be judged under this law, the law of justice or the law of transgressors, or you're going to be judged under the law of liberty, which is just kind of a, a, a subtle point towards um, that we're justified in Christ. Like you're going to be judged one way or the other, um, either one on your behalf, um, 
that you receive through faith, uh, that you, the, the punishment for your sins was poured out on Jesus, you're going to be justified that way or the other way, which is uh, what he calls the law as transgressors. And so, yeah. uh, and really the pull for him is like, don't live as someone who's, if you've been justified by faith, then don't live as somebody who has going to be, or still partaking in kind of the law of transgressors. So that's one yeah. of the things that's kind of in there. I think the other one that really jumped out to me too is just election, like the convers okay. the conversation surrounding, you know, that word, I think people get, um, they want to know, it's like, okay, so election, like, how does God, how does God do it? Like, how does he choose? Like, it, 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 what, what is, what is he considering? And the, honestly, the Bible doesn't really tell us all that much about the process in which God does the, his electing or how he does that thing. There's a great deal of mystery around that. So much. Scriptures. And so there's these small little moments in the Bible where you get a glimpse. And I think this is one of them. Like mm. these are one of those places. And he says in verse five, uh, he, he says, um, God has chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs mm. to the kingdom. And I think texts like this are important because I think one of the big fears around election is that it wouldn't be fair Mm. or that God wouldn't be good, or because of our power structures that we're so used to, it's usually the people of power oppressing the poor. And it's like, that's not the case with God. Yeah. Like he's chosen the rich and the foolish things of this world to um, dismantle and to prove like his goodness and kindness mm. and his mercy. Yeah. And so that was one that was just refreshing for my soul as I sit and think and reflect on the beauty of what God has done from start to finish in the gospel, uh, that he is good through and through, and he's got his eyes on, and the gospel works best on, and most, and works best for those who feel so outside of yeah. kind of what the world would say is yeah. successful or any of that. So that's really insightful. And I think that's helpful, especially for some of the listeners, maybe who are checking this out, who are kind of kicking the tires on faith and who God is and some of this, those doctrines around who he is, just to hear that, that God is a person who, uh, he, he is someone who cares for the oppressed. He's someone who cares for the, the trampled down, the one who sits on the outside. Um, and I think that's seen throughout this text. Um, did you have anything to add to, to that? Uh, let me just go back to the judgment sure. theme, um, because the judgment theme is really essential in this text. Yeah. Uh, again, it's the dark backdrop to the beauty of mercy, right? So unless we feel the the fact that there's a holy God and we have sinned against a holy God, mm. then we can't fully appreciate mercy. And that's why people who don't really understand the gospel, maybe they're they're a, a good moralist and they believe in God, but you know, moralistic therapeutic deism is more their way. You know, they, yeah. they believe in God and I'm trying to be a good person. Um, and maybe they are a good person in, in the categories that we would use to describe a good person in, right. in our society, but they don't understand that they're going to stand before a holy God in his judgment. Mm. Right. And so what, what, uh, I think James gets at is sometimes we, we sidestep judgment because we yeah. see ourselves as not that bad. Yeah. So it's as he, as if he says about partiality, uh, people are saying it's not that bad. He says, let, let me put put this in a category for mm. you. It fits with adultery and murder yeah, because it's the breaking of God's law. And if you break the law at any point, you're a transgressor of the whole, of, of, of all of it. Mm. And so partiality, I mean, he's trying to really help us see clearly how dark this really goes. Mm. And 
So judgment is, as, as a theme, um, is the backdrop for yeah. the beauty of mercy and the community that mercy creates. Yeah. So one of the, even the doctrines here would just be the mercy of God, the way that God treats us with mercy, first and foremost, yeah. he, in his just judgment, even though he is a just judge, that he is merciful towards us. And the climactic statement that mercy triumphs yeah. over judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's like, we, we, judgment's not bad. Judgment's part of the holiness of God. For I sure. mean, by bad, I mean, it's not bad morally. It is, um, it is a beautiful thing, like the law. The law exposes sin. It mm-hmm. shows us the glory of God. But mercy triumphs over judgment. It does what judgment can never do yeah. in its transforming power. And in Jesus, we see both of those things meet beautifully, mercy and judgment. We see those meet to the cross, which is amazing. It is. Um, well, that's great. I, we could probably spend a long time there, but let's move on for the sake of time and for the sake of some, some of the listeners who are like, okay, get on with it. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about this. This is kind of a fun thing, especially, uh, so Bruce, you're the author of this sermon. You wrote it initially. Other teachers adapted it for themselves in, in their context and the way that they're, they're preaching it. Um, but for you, as you're writing this and you're, you're, you're looking through a text like James 2 and you're you're finding just so much richness as you study. You know, I imagine there's a temptation to, oh man, I could preach on this for hours oh in, my goodness, in some yes. regard. Um, but you've got a limited amount of time and you want to try to not just teach through it, you want to try to preach through it, which is essentially the difference is instead of just trying to reveal to everybody all the different uh, truths and nuances of this text, you're trying to create a, a steady flow of thought for somebody to catch and say, okay, I know how I can understand that and how I can apply it to my life. Right. Right. So what were some things though, in this text that you didn't get a chance to put into your sermon or to teach people or preach to people for on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, um, that you wish you could have, or sure. that you could now take some time to explain to people. Yeah. Here? I'll tell you the, the last things I cut out of my message. Yeah. Um, which in my first draft, even the draft that Kyle received, uh, this was still in the message, but uh, that I eventually had to cut out. Uh, I really, what are some biblical pictures of where apostles were confronting the church about specific cases of partiality? Yeah. And there are two that I wanted to talk about that I won't talk about either one. Uh, the first has to do with uh, how the people in Corinth were receiving the Lord's Supper. You know, when they would come together for a supper, they would come together for this love feast, mm-hmm. and then they would receive the supper together. And uh, what was happening, though, is the rich people would get there first, and they would bring all the best food, and rich people can get there early because they have more you know, latitude in schedule. Exactly. This is 1 Corinthians 11, is that right? 1 Corinthians 11, there you go. And so then when the the poor people got there, all the food was gone. Mm. And what was happening was it was shaming those who got got there later. And they didn't even really share the meal. The, The people of God were not closer together having celebrated the one thing that brings them all together. Mm. Jesus shed blood, his broken body for our sake. Uh, they didn't celebrate those things. What they really did is accentuated how the rich have advantages over the poor, and it yeah. was shaming to the poor. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, you know, Paul is rebuking the church and says, you know, you shouldn't even be coming together yeah. because you're destroying community, not building community. Mm. So I thought, man, what a powerful picture. But I didn't have time for that. Yeah. And uh, one other, and I'll, I'll be brief, but what we see, you know, in Ephesians 2 is how Jesus broke down the dividing wall between both, you know, the Jew and the yeah. Greek. 
and uh, or the Gentile. Gentile, yeah. And um, what this is about race, right? And so the only other time that this word partiality is used in the New Testament is in Romans chapter two, verse eleven, okay. where it's really talking about race. And so partiality in the New Testament has two issues specifically: riches and race. Mm. And in the the case of, of race, it's like if Jesus tore down this dividing wall, then we should you know walk as one community. And yet right. when churches are segregating themselves according to race, it's really anti-mercy. Mm. Not that someone has to be shown mercy because they're of a different race. We need to be shown mercy because mercy brings all the races together to say, our, our mercy is found in the same place. Yeah. I need mercy. You need mercy. We find it in Jesus. So if we're all running to Jesus, then the room's going to be filled with people of different color. Yeah. And so those two pictures I really wanted to give some energy to, and I get get to give a brief nod yeah. to the whole issue of race, which I wish I had more time to, to focus yeah, on. Yeah, I wish you could camp out and spend some time there for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's good. What about for you, Kyle? I'm still in the process of cutting. So yeah. you're getting yeah. you're getting a glimpse in this when it's like, because uh, I haven't, I haven't, we haven't taught this message yet, but yeah. uh, so if there's anything that I said in this podcast that you don't hear on a Sunday, you go to the Kool-Aid campus, you don't hear on a Sunday morning, yeah. it's because it got cut. So yeah. there's yeah, probably sure. a lot in there. Uh, I did cut the two, the, those two texts as well, but man, listening to you talking about makes me want to put them back in there because they're good. Like there's yeah. just, that's really practical. Like if you think about, right. um, how this played out in the local church, which really tells us like, this is one of the massive implications of the gospel Absolutely. Is that, that this is what Jesus came to abolish. And so, yeah. um, those are those are big ones. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Another thing that was I had to cut that I I wish I had time for is to talk about. I wanted to build out the whole idea of mercy and how it's expressed in everyday life. Mm. So I, I gave three other words and even passages uh, to the idea of mercy, and so the listener can do this. Um, one is hospitality. Okay. So what does mercy look like? It looks like people who open their life to others and welcome them in, especially hospitality, we could say across the lines, across the categories. I'm rich, you're poor, I welcome you into my house. Yeah. You know, I'm poor, you're rich, I welcome you into my house. Um, you're a person of a different race, I welcome you into my house. Mm. You're, um, you're a person who has a very different political perspective, yeah. but I welcome you as a brother and a friend. Mm. And so uh, Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. This is really an expression of mercy. We welcome as we've been welcomed. Yeah. Jesus could only welcome us by his mercy, right? So mercy is the first word. Second word is generosity. Uh, mercy is always an expression of generosity. Yeah. I am, I'm not giving you what you deserve, but in not giving you what you deserve, I'm giving you the world, yeah. right? Because right. We, we deserve judgment for sin, and Jesus showed us mm -hmm. mercy instead. And so when we show people mercy, we are treating them the same way Jesus treats us, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, yeah. you know, 2 Corinthians 8 9 says. And then the, the third idea is compassion. Yeah. So in the text, uh, you know, it talks about the royal law, the royal law, you know, commentators argue over what that really means. Uh, it's, it means the king's law, or is it a law fit for a king, or it, that's not really not relevant. Uh, what's relevant is it, it is the, a law of the kingdom, and the law of the kingdom is that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's in the text right. in, in James. Yeah. Well, where do we see that really, though? 
the first time. And it's, it's the great commandment when right. the lawyer asks Jesus about what is the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second law is like unto it, love your neighbors yourself. Yeah. And then the question, who is my neighbor, the lawyer asks. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And so what we see is it was compassion that triggered, that made the Samaritan different. Uh, let me tell, you, tell the story briefly. Yeah. Uh, guys on the road to Jerusalem, right. uh, or to Jericho, I mean, it's a dangerous road. And, uh, and he gets attacked and beat up, mugged, and he's left there. Yeah. And religious people walk by who do nothing. And then Move the to the Samaritan. other side of the road, get away from him, work their way around him. Right. And the Samaritan, on the other hand, uh, has compassion for him. And he takes care of him at his own expense. Yeah. And so Jesus, at the end of this, says, you know, who, who was the friend? Right. I mean, who, who was the neighbor here? Yeah. And obviously the, the answer is the Samaritan. Yeah. It's the one who had compassion. Mm. So... How do we, as James is saying here, love our neighbors ourselves? We show mercy. What's another way of saying that? We show compassion. Yeah. This compassion that triggers us to move toward them and to meet their need, even at our own expense. What a community that would be, right? right? Yeah. And yet, that's the community God's called us to be. Yeah. So mercy, we oftentimes just think of mercy as the way that God's shown mercy to us, which He's shown it to us in so many different ways. But at at kind of its chief most way, we think about um, not giving us the judgment that we deserve. And so then when we just keep saying mercy about other people, then we're thinking, well, okay, well, then I just won't, you know, judge them maybe in the way that they deserve. But what you're saying is, no, mercy presents itself in so many different ways in those three practical ways, hospitality, generosity, and compassion. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yes, and that did not make it into the sermon, although I really sad. want to. Sad. Yes, it is. That's sad, but I mean, I'm sure the sermon is amazing. That's why you got to uh, listen to the podcast. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, this is where the gold is at. It's in both places. It's so yeah. good. Okay, well, moving on for the sake of time, uh, and, and that was extremely practical, so we'll kind of yeah. just, that's a good segue, but anything we can add to that in terms of, man, someone's hearing this sermon, studying this text, you know, on their own time, listening to this podcast, but as the book of Ephesians talks about, teachers are given to the church for the sake of the edification of the body of Christ, right? We want to um, share the word so that people can practically apply it so that they can live it out. And so what are some ways practically that you would hope to see Clear Creek Community Church living out this text in James chapter 2? Yeah. Man, I mean, your three things right there are just like so golden money for that, the hospitality, yeah. compassion, all of the, like those things just, so, so if our lives could be shaped by uh, uh, seeing people, um, well, let's start with ourselves, seeing ourselves yeah. in light of the mercy that God has shown us, that there is a level playing field, um, and then looking at other people. And while I might not be... Um, someone who is impoverished in the way that someone else is because I'm in tune with my spiritual, my, my spiritual poverty that Mm -hmm. I have. Like I can see myself in that person's shoes and love them the same way that God has loved me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because the things that makes me valuable to God has nothing to do with me and therefore it has nothing to do with that person. And so I just think if it, if we focus on mercy, not only does it shape a life, but it could shape 
the picture of God's church. The local church. That's what it's intended to do is to like create this bit of beautiful picture where the person who feels like they cannot belong yeah. that, or do not belong, the, the person, because the, the structure of the world is not going away until Jesus finally comes back and does, finishes what he started. It, it's this tiered way of looking at people, this um, hierarchy is going to mm-hmm. continue to be there. Um, so there will always be people who feel like I'm tired of running after that, like I'm tired yeah. of this system. There's gonna be people who constantly feel like the world's gonna say, you don't fit in, you don't belong anywhere, you're the bottom of the tier. Yeah. To me, it's like the church could be the place that just opens the door and says, here you belong, yeah. like here it is. And so it, how should it shape our lives practically? Well, it should shape our homes that we welcome people in. Yeah. It should shape the doors of our church that it, when people come to Clear Creek Community Church, they, they're like, man, I, why do I feel like I belong here? And then we don't, it's not because we're just super friendly people on our left to our own devices. No, it's because of the mercy that God's shown us and the goodness of the gospel. And here's how God sees you. Mm. Um, that, that's what the church is, this outward facing type of movement. You bring up a a good point, just even in terms of like visualizing this within the doors of the church, because that is kind of, that's the context, right? It is, James yeah. I mean, he's saying when someone illustration, walks yeah. into church, like what seat do you give mm-hmm. him? So uh, just, okay, Bruce, lead pastor Clear Creek, for you, for people that fill up our rooms on a Sunday morning, speak directly to them. You know, hey, yeah. when someone comes with you to church or you see someone walk in, how are you to befriend someone? How are you to treat someone who walks in the doors? Yeah, for for applying this message, I think we, we have to begin with um, just crying out to God for mercy. Yeah. I mean, it's the only thing that orients us toward showing compassion and generosity and and hospitality to others is when we know we we need this mercy. And so uh, to me, that's that's the primary application is that we we cry out to God for mercy. You know, um, Pete Scazzaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Mm -hmm. Spirituality. uh, Spirituality. And in one of the chapters of the book, he... Uh, lists like 10 different things that show uh, a lack of health, a, a lack of emotional health in one's spirituality. Yeah. And then he gives a prayer at the end of that. And he says that the, the prayer starts like this, uh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, first of all, we identify ourselves as sinners. Yeah. And now we're all in the same playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle talked about how it's a level playing field. That's the playing field. Yeah. The level playing field is we're all sinners. And we all need mercy and we're all crying out to God for mercy. Mm -hmm. So when we do that then and we look around the room, the room changes. Yeah. Now I no longer see the differences. I see the sameness that we have. And that's why worship together like this is so important. Mm. So, I mean, in my vision, like if we could all see what's going on when we are worshiping God and we're, we're hearing the echo of our own worship in the lives of other people, he who is worthy, who has shown mercy, mm. who has delivered us from sin, who gives us love in spite of us, has now called us to reflect this, yeah. to be an echo of this to other people around us. So the practical side of that is worship together, yeah. just worship together, because in the very act of worship to get, worshiping together, we are celebrating the mercy shown to us and therefore the community that we're called to. So then most practically, next step for that is we cross 
categories and we cross lines intentionally. Yeah. And we do so out of um, this deep abiding conviction mm. that we are the people of mercy. And not mercy like I'm better and so I need to go across yeah. that line. Sometimes we need to cross the line into the person in, who in the dom- dominance hierarchy is, right. is higher, right? Yeah. So we we are secure in the fact that we are Jesus people. And so I can cross into the rich guy's yard yeah. or I can cross into the the brilliant NASA scientist's <laughs> you know, yard and have a yeah. real conversation and not yeah. be afraid that I'm going to sound dumb. Uh, because I am dumb in a lot of the areas that he's brilliant. Mm. And yet uh, together we've come to Jesus at the point of mercy. Yeah. So it's, it's those practices of uh, opening our, our door and having people's feet under our table mm. that really it's our love for Jesus that causes us to love them. Yeah. That you know, brings us together like that. Yeah, it would almost be to, to the outside, we're looking at that sort of suspicious. Why did you have those people over? Right. You don't share things in common and with them. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, right. you don't, they, they don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They don't act like you. They don't go to the same church as you. Like, what, what, why are you hanging out with those people? Well, that's what God calls us to do. That's who we are. We're as the a people. people of mercy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, just to finish this out, to close it up, because we, it's, it's one thing to, and a really helpful thing to, uh, exposit a passage, to preach it, to give people something to walk away with. I'm so thankful for the way that you guys do that faithfully. But for you, studying this text, how did the Spirit speak to you about your life personally? Just looking through this and thinking, okay, God, where where am I in this um, text? Where am I? In what ways do I need to apply this to my own life? How did that hit you guys personally as you're studying for this? Um. I think my one of one of the regular rhythm prayers that I have um, for myself uh, really has to do with identity. Is that I would continue to firmly root my identity not in the things that I do, not in the things that I have, um, not in what other people think of me, yeah. but in who Christ says I am in the gospel, and that would be the thing that defines me in my thought life and the way I think. So. This text just brings all of those things up. And as you're studying and prepping, it's like, okay, because that's how you start to think that you can show partiality to someone or you feel crushed under the weight of, in the opposite way, you either think I can show partiality to this person because I've done more, have more, I've thought, you know, others think better of me so I can get away with this stuff. Or it's like you're crushed under the weight, like you can't interact with certain people or talk to certain people Mm -hmm. or do certain things because you're like... That's not for, and I think in, in my life, when I can feel the tug and the pull of my identity starting to shift and wanting to turn a different direction. And yeah. so it, it just caused me to sit in the goodness of the gospel and who I am in Christ mm-hmm. and to um, repent when I'm looking to pave my own way and also, you know, um, and lift me back up and encourage me in the yeah. gospel of grace and what it actually means for me. So that's great. Thanks for sharing that. It's awesome. Bruce? Yeah, for me, I'm keenly aware of my own sin. And so I I know I need to cry out to God for mercy. Um, Most rooms I walk into around Clear Creek Community Church, I'm treated as superior Mm. um, because I'm I'm the pastor. Right. People want to know my opinion about passages from the Bible or about 
you know, decisions for the church. Or, mm. um, and so before I know it, I, I don't want to be this way, but I'm treated as superior. Yeah. And so I walk in and I, I feel the dominance hierarchy at play. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and what is so uh, disorienting is I'm keenly aware of my own sin. Yeah. But now I've got to go that next step and apply this need for mercy in my life mm-hmm. in a way uh, in, in my relationships at Clear Creek so that uh, I don't um, lean into the dominance hierarchy, yeah, you know, the, the being treated as someone special or different because I'm the pastor. Yeah. Um, and, and nobody can do that for me, right? That's my responsibility before God is to... Um, to be the one who initiates to, to cross um, lines, yeah. wh- whatever those lines are, uh, so that th- the body is beautiful because of the sameness mm. that we have. Mm. Man, thank you guys for your vulnerability in that. Both of those responses did something for my soul. I know that they did for those that are listening, for those that are watching. So thank you. Thanks for your time given not only for this podcast, but also for studying, for preaching the way that you guys serve the church. It's such a gift and a blessing grateful for both of you and grateful to everybody who listened and joined us today. It was awesome. This was super fun. Uh, We had a blast and we can't wait till next time. So see you next time on the Clear Creek Resources podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Thanks so much for joining us today.